Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In the Gun, episode 74, I am Skylar Kelly. Joined with me today is the signal caller, Jed Drenning. And we've got game week. This is, yes, we're only a few days away now from West Virginia heading to Happy Valley to take on the Penn State Nittany Lions and what is going to be an absolutely insane atmosphere. And that's exactly why we're talking, or what we're going to talk about today is some of the best atmospheres, the biggest crowds that West Virginia has ever played in front of in their history uh, of the program. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We may even throw you a little bit of a nugget here about uh, the, the biggest games in West Virginia home history, but this is going to be the top 10 games regardless of where it was played, home, away, neutral, and we'll count them down for you uh, here in just a second. But first, a word from BetOnline. BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 100% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And Jed, so before we get into this this countdown, let's let's hit a, cu- a couple of these uh, interesting home games and how West Virginia fared in that real quick and, and the biggest crowds that they had at Mountaineer Field. Yeah, uh, at first, you were part of this, Skylar, so I had to break some news here in real time. Uh, yeah. My nine-year-old son, soon to be 10, turns 10 uh well actually he is now 10 i i'm, I'm trying to catch up myself <laughs> he's mastering his state uh his states and geography and things of that nature so he's he's uh, angling towards getting 100 on his test so he can earn some video game time uh here at uh, burning so yeah he came down all fired up and showed me the score uh, uh between tapings there but so uh congrats mav you keep going buddy I'm, I'm proud of you but when you look at mountaineer field history that's one thing we're we're uh, obviously looking at all games, most of those largest crowds were not in Morgantown, but the largest crowd in Morgantown history, Mountaineer field history was, as we all know, the 93 game against uh, the number four ranked Miami Hurricanes. When we knocked them off 17 to 14. That was 70,222. And there were a lot of SRO seats there. I mean, there were a lot of folks just wedged in and standing anywhere they could. Uh, so if you look at some of the top games there, the 89 game against Pitt will be number two behind Miami at 68,938. Uh, the Ohio State game, I remember how just the the intensity all off season and the hype leading up to that game against number one Ohio State coming to Morgantown to kick off the 1998 season. And that turned out to be the third largest crowd in the history of Mountaineer Field at 68,409. But that gives you some sense of it. What we're going to do when we come back in the break is we're going to look at the largest crowds Again, when you look at the top 15, 20, those weren't in Morgantown. They were elsewhere. And we're going to count them down for you 10 to 1. And if you haven't figured it out already, there's a reason we're doing this. Okay? And that reason might have a little nitney and a little line in it coming up here this weekend. So uh, we're going to have some fun with this. Yeah, definitely. So before we get to that, a word from those who make this show possible here on In the Gun. I'm talking with J.R. Toothman of Toothman Ford. J.R., everybody knows a lot of pro athletes buy from you. What's the secret? 
Just like Will Greer, future Hall of Famer Frank Gore, James Washington, and many more pros, these guys have financial advisors that are always looking out for them to save time and money, and that's why they always shop at Toothman Ford. And what if you're like us regular folks that don't have people giving us advice? You don't need a financial advisor. Toothman Ford will save you time and money no matter who you are. Plus, we'll buy your car even if you don't buy from us. Visit ToothmanFord.com and get a quick, instant cash offer. That sounds like a score to me. That's right. And as always, we'll take anything in trade from chicken wings to Super Bowl rings. Toothman Ford's got a lot of fans. Here's another one. Dallas Cowboys QB, Will Greer. This is Will Greer, former West Virginia and current NFL quarterback. And cars really do cost less than Grafton at Toothman Ford. That's a fact, Will. Thanks. You can shop online anytime at ToothmanFord.com. For more West Virginia Mountaineer football content, be sure to follow us on Twitter at InTheGunPodcast. For nearly 20 years, Fortis has been the nation's leader in providing guaranteed roof performance programs for commercial buildings. Fortis offers roof performance solutions that feature extensive initial and ongoing reconditioning for commercial buildings as an alternative to traditional replacement with long-term performance guarantees that are backed by global leader Lloyds of London. Fortis offers a comprehensive range of roof performance management programs that provide financial security, extend the life of our customers' roofs, and make a significant impact on ROI. Fortis is currently improving performance and increasing ROI for customers at more than 4,800 locations. With more than 140 million square feet protected, including many Fortune 500 companies that have turned to Fortis to save money, gain financial certainty, and extend the life of their existing roofs. Fortis has helped customers save more than $520 million in capital roof replacement costs for an average ROI of over 250%. To learn more, visit Fortis.us.com. Fortis, roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. Let's go, Mountaineer fans. You're tuned in to In the Gun with Wes, the runaway beer truck, and the signal caller. All right, Judd, so let's go ahead and get right into it. The top 10 biggest crowds West Virginia football has ever played in front of. Again, this is regardless of where the venue is, home away neutral, uh, but we already ran through some of that, but you'll, you'll understand here very quickly that all these crowds are away from Mountaineer Field. So, number 10, kicking it off, where are we heading first, Jed? Uh, number 10, uh, all-time, the 10th largest crowd that West Virginia has ever played in front of was November 25th, 2017. It was at Oklahoma, the Prairie, or excuse me, the Palace on the Prairie. Uh, it was the, uh, the crowd was 86,117. Uh, I've been fortunate to, uh, looking at this list, work seven of these 10 games. And uh, what I remember about that game, uh, first of all, game. <laughs> what's that? That was the Chris Chuganoff game, right? It was the Chris Chuganoff game. So, you know, the season with all this hope and promise uh, was kind of lost early in that Texas game with Will's hand injury. And I, I, I'll never forget standing on the sidelines when Will walked back over and, and I saw that finger and he was, he walked right past me. And, you know, at the time, Dave Kearns and the, and the, the training staff was trying to deal with it. And it pretty quickly realized, oh, boy. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, uh, you know, Chris Chuganoff came in and had to start the next week. And I remember that Dane and the offensive staff tried to get creative and take some air out of it. Kenny McCoy running some wildcat stuff. I mean, we did what we could, but uh, we, we were facing an incredibly talented Oklahoma team. If you remember, that was also the game in which Baker wasn't allowed to start. Yep. because of the incident at Kansas. 
So instead, they had to settle for Kyler Murray starting the game. And all he did was rip <laughs> off a 70-yard run on the first series right in front of our sidelines. And I thought, wow, first we deal with this. Now we got Baker coming back in. It's, it was just uh, – it, it was nuts. But one of the things I think of with Chris Chuganoff, if you, people might remember that when he left, he ended up at Ohio State. And they had this this kind of strange situation playing out a quarterback with some injuries and some other things going on. He had to play a decent amount, or he did play a decent amount. And he ended up with six touchdowns, no picks. I mean, he was a pretty productive backup option for Ohio State. But, you know, hats off the chugs, but uh, didn't work out so well for us in Norman or in the bowl game against Utah. But that is the 10th largest crowd West Virginia ever played in front of. Blowout loss at Norman. 86,117 in 2017. Yeah, number nine, we go to a little ways back, way before my time. I was negative 13 at this game. <laughs> October 22nd, 1983, in front of 86,309, and that was at, at Penn State. So At Penn State. That's the first of uh, a few that we'll have on this list. So go ahead and – Freshen us up on this game a little bit, especially me since I wasn't even around for it. Yeah, you were negative 13. I was net 13. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> something tells me I wasn't on the sidelines with a mic in my hand quite yet. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we went up there and fought the good fight. Obviously, the big story in that one was Jeff Hostetler returning to Penn State, right? And and Haas played a good game, threw for 273. Uh, but unfortunately, we couldn't find a way to stop those guys, and we were kind of overmatched, and we lost the game 41 to 23. But Skyler, this gets into a trend that you've seen in recent decades, and this speaks to it. You had basically a sellout at Penn State with 86,000 people in 1983, and now uh, th these stadiums have expanded multiple times. The SEC, the Big Ten, to the point that that ranks nowhere near the top largest crowds in the history of these facilities now. So, but that's what I remember about it is. Uh, Haas going up there and fighting the good fight, but it wasn't quite enough. And that was the uh, ninth largest crowd West Virginia has ever played in front of the 86,000 and change at Penn State. Yeah, and I'll, I'll go ahead and take this number eight one because I'll remember it before I remember the next one on the list. And that's uh, that's kind of be a theme here for a little bit until we get towards the top of this thing. But uh, this one is 2009 Jordan Hare against Auburn, um, 87,451. And if I remember, I feel like that was the mon that was the monsoon game, right? It was. That was just it was. an it, it, oh, I, and you probably have more of a recollection of it than I do because again, it was years ago. But I do remember that game was sloppy. It was a slop fest. Auburn ended up winning that game forty-one to thirty. But um, how, how fun was that one for you? Well, a lot of things I remember about that one. Uh, that was back in the days when we showed up at the stadium the day before and actually did a walkthrough. Uh, and I remember just, uh, you know, how how impressed you are by the trappings of Jordan Hare Stadium, you know, yeah. uh, and, and, and all the glory that it is. It's just a neat facility and not to disappoint. It was a sellout crowd. Uh, and uh, I mean, Auburn fans are, are are right up there in the SEC. That's one of the things I learned that night. And against these other SEC teams we faced, I'd stack Auburn fans right there toward the top. But the I remember standing for 45 minutes in one of the uh, corridors with the Auburn band. And during the monsoon, we were all seeking cover and uh, watching these spigots, these pipes, uh, it was almost like gutters, just shooting water straight across down at the end of the corridor. And I was asking, I used to go to school in Alabama, but I wasn't out on the plains, right? I was in Birmingham. 
And I was asking some of these kids, I'm like, this is uncommon here, I assume, right? And they said, uh, my grandparents are telling me they've never seen it. So yeah, that's uncommon, right? So the, the game gets started. And what I remember, I, I told Stu in the locker room, I was like, you know, I remember about some of the bigger games we had of the passing offense, like when I was in school, they, they tend to come right after big rainstorms because the footing's bad, the wideouts know where they're going, the DBs don't. And wouldn't you know it, we threw the football pretty effectively. Uh, you know, defensively, Jeff Castile saw Gus Malzahn's run game. Back at a point, it's hard to think about this, but nobody had solved Gus Malzahn's run game up to that point. Nobody. And I remember watching tape with Jeff at the team hotel, and he's like, Jed, unless he reinvents himself in the span of a week, I think I got his run game, but the best I can do is force him to throw it. I can't control everything, but I can try and force him to throw it. Now, we got to make some plays there, too. And, and if you remember how this unfolded, they made some big plays in the past game. They weren't that effective. I think they averaged like 2-4 per rush. So we slowed down their, their run game. Noel had a big game for us, 128 yards, three scores. And one of the other things I remember is toward the end of the game, of course, it was a one-score game with a couple minutes to go, and it looked like we had a chance. It was 34-30 to drive the length of the field and have one for the ages. And next thing you know, they pick off a screen and march in this big D line, and it's 41-30 to game set match kind of. But Jarrett Brown got dinged up. And what stands out to me is the training staff, Jarrett comes off the field, and it was very obvious that Geno had to go in true freshman Geno Smith, this wiry, skinny, true freshman from Miramar. And I'm standing next to Geno on the sidelines as he's warming up, getting loose. Now, he hadn't been in before. He's about to go in now. And he had the orphan any eyes. I mean, he had the 50-cent piece eyes. I mean, they were giant eyes. And that, that's probably the last time I ever, ever saw Geno Smith with the orphan any eyes. I mean, ever. Uh, but I just remember thinking, wow, I can't imagine what this must be like. I mean, again, we're talking how many people were here uh 87,451 and here you are this 18 year old kid being asked hey get out there and take care of this so those are the things I remember about that game and I guess that would uh, bring that thing in at at number eight the eighth largest crowd West Virginia has ever played in front of yeah number seven again that this one's probably one you know a little bit more of, so I'll let you introduce it and talk about it this was against Ohio State way back in the day uh, not way back in the day, 87. It was the year before, you know, the great year uh, before the, 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 the Fiesta Bowl. But anyways, go ahead. Uh, it was the the beginning of the major Harris era, okay? He had registered the previous year. He played against a max school the previous week. But uh, this was part of that strange home-and-home home with Ohio State, 87 and 98. It's kind of scheduling how it worked sometimes back then. But but uh, you went on the road to face Ohio State in Columbus. And again, if you go to Columbus these days and it's a sellout, it's a heck of a lot more than 88,000. But back then it was a lot of people. It still is a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, but what I remember is uh, it was sloppy. It was wet. They jumped out to a very early lead. Uh, Ohio State did. We were trying to, as I said, kind of break in a young quarterback and major. Mike Timko was kind of playing as well as, as the more battle-tested veteran. And uh, we just couldn't stand out of harm's way. I mean, we kept putting the football in harm's way, uh, turning it over. Ohio State built this big lead, and we just couldn't sustain anything. And I think most of the scoring in that game was the line share. It was over probably by not long after the end of the first quarter. A couple mentioned in the second quarter, they beat us 24 to 3. But uh, one of the things Coach Wallace, who we did the broadcast with, Coach Wallace was on the staff at that game. And a couple of years ago, Tony and I were talking about it. 
And uh, we mentioned it to him and, and this conversation started. And I said, I'm gonna look up that box score and check it out. And as soon as we came across, across six interceptions, four by Mike Timko and two by major, uh, Coach Wallace was like, yeah, why don't we just uh, change the conversation here? <laughs> so, but hey, you know, uh, it, it's not like Coach Wallace didn't rebound, you know, because he certainly yeah. did and stood major and so did the Mountaineers. And brighter things were to come for those Mountaineers down the stretch, even in 87, leading up to what happened in 88. But uh, yeah, 88,000 people at the shoe, you know, that was uh, that was a big deal back in the day. It's a big deal now. Uh, but that will be the seventh largest crowd uh, when you're looking at that was back in the Tom Tupa days. Remember Tom Tupa, not only the quarterback, but the punter for Ohio State. So, yeah, seventh largest, right? So that'd be number seven. Yeah, number six. I do remember this one, and I'm trying to remember what grade I was in. I want to say I was in eighth grade, and I just got back from whatever the dance is that you're in. And, eighth grade the middle school it's not the, the homecoming or whatever but anyways this big dance we had in, in in middle school and we went hung out at my friend's house this was um i'll go and get to the game so you know what i'm talking about here september 25th 2010 against lsu and i had been looking forward to this game all week long because i was like man to have the opportunity to go down into death valley and it felt kind of like a winnable game, and it ended up playing out to be that way. It just – 20 to 14 was the final score. They couldn't get over the hump. They really just couldn't ever get anything offensively going. Obviously, that was the Patrick Peterson game. But um, that was that was a tough game for me to take on the chin when I was a kid. Yeah, and uh... – it you know Saturday night in Baton Rouge. It's 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 one of the storied things that if you're a college football fan, I mean, it was definitely on my bucket list. I'm glad I got to check it off. I'm glad I got to work that game. But what I remember about it is, first of all, that, that's another all-inspiring facility. I mean, it's just a really cool venue. If you ever have a chance, I recommend it. You know, I put Mountaineer on that field to outsiders. I tell them all the time. But you know, it's it's one of the meccas of college football, college sports at large. But what I remember about that game is, yeah, we 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 were disjointed offensively. Uh, we couldn't really find our rhythm at that point in that season. Uh, we went down there, and I remember walking out with the captains, and Noel was one of the captains, and Noel Devine. And, and when we came out of the corridor, out of our locker room, it was down in one corner of Tiger Stadium, and the officials held us by the pylon. They held the captains up with the pylon and said, wait right here. And as we were waiting – I looked and five feet away in the giant cage is Mike the Tiger, the LSU <laughs> mascot. All right. Now, don't ask me to assign the Roman numerals of which Mike the Tiger. I, I 104, 17, I have no idea. IV, VII, I, I don't know. But it was one of the Mike the Tigers. And what I remember is Noel apparently had such pent up energy that it was too much to ask him to stand still. So he couldn't restrain himself. So he starts leaning into the cage and shaking his head to try and animate Mike the Tiger. Oh, and he's growling at it and snarling and shaking his head. Noel's just shaking. And I'm thinking, you know, how did I arrive at this point in life? <laughs> I was a five-star running back in, in, in Tiger <laughs> State. And, uh, and, and, and I'm also thinking, I don't think Noel knows how quite how sedated Mike the Tiger is. That's what I always think when people go around Bevo in Austin. I'm like, do you have any idea what they've shot that thing full of before this game to keep him calm? But uh, that's what I remember. 
And I remember it was one of those things that, as you touched on, Skylar, the final score was 20 to 14. And that was the game that on the punt return, Patrick Peterson, I remember where I was standing. I was in that same end zone, but opposite pylon when Patrick Peterson busted it, found the, uh, uh, the, the rail up the sidelines, got behind the wall, gets in the end zone and strikes the Heisman pose. Uh, but it just felt like, man, even though we're only down by a possession, it felt uh, maybe like part of the game. Covered. Yeah, it felt it felt insurmountable just because we couldn't get moving offensively, and uh, it was frustrating. But you know, we held our own. We just couldn't make the final play. But but uh, yeah, I mean that's that's number six, and that was definitely one uh, that I remember for a long time, and and worth checking out if you get a chance. But now we're about to embark on the top five. The five largest crowds West Virginia to this date has ever played in front of. Yeah. And actually some of four of these five are in my lifetime and and most more recently, actually. So uh, number five, let's go ahead and start here with, uh, what was it? 2014, November 8th at Texas, 95, 714. And I asked you before the recording, I was like, this, this was the game right after game day, TCU, that whole conundrum. Yeah. And it is, it was, the the I, I guess this is one of those games where you just you let the game beat you twice and I felt like that's kind of what it was they were sluggish all day and that one um I actually had a baseball game I was in college at that point college baseball game that day so wasn't able to watch it thankfully but I ended up re-watching it and none to my liking but um that was a game I, I really felt the TCU game the way that thing ended it just – it was something you couldn't get out of your head. I don't know. I mean, you you were around the team at that point. You probably have a better understanding of it. But that's kind of my general feeling as a time not yeah. really into it, um, that it just felt like a game that beat them twice. Yeah, and, of course, when you think back to the TCU game, two ranked teams, college game day, ESPN college game day in Morgantown, big game environment – what happened to Clint on the non-call when he got denorganized by the TCU oh. defender? Uh, so, you know, a lot of people say that that was, that was the end of Clint Trickett as we knew him, right? Well, we saw, as, as you touched on, Skylar, we, we definitely had a hangover, an emotional hangover, heading to DKR that next week. And when we showed up, uh, again, e- even when the Kratz, Flats crowd with a bunch of T-Sippers, it's still – you know, in this case, you're looking at 95,700 tea sippers, right? That's a lot of tea sippers. It's 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 a vast place that's very high when, you know, it's it's you really marvel at it sometimes when you're standing on the sideline at DKR looking at that facility. But what I remember about that game is that was back in the days of the uh, Tyrone Swoops 18-wheeler package, that big physical quarterback that they had, and they, they used that to great effect against us. Now, they jumped out to this big early lead, and at the half, it was a lot to a little. Uh, again, we we were slow, to the, slow out of the gates, so we had a lot to overcome coming out of the half, and we knew that. And now, to Clint's credit, Clint did engineer a lot of production, but it was – by and large, between the 20s. I mean, if you look back, one of the strange stats that came out of that game was Kevin White with the school record 16 catches. I mean, he had 16 catches, and Clint, you know, had some decent numbers, but no touchdowns. It was was between the 20s. So every time we got into the red zone, uh, something went awry, and we just couldn't finish the job. And and in large measure, I do think that that TCU hangover contributed to that. But but that's what I think of when I think of that game was – I don't remember the crowd making a massive difference in the outcome, uh, but that, that's kind of the nature of Texas. You know, they can be very energized, 
uh, or somewhat sedated themselves, even if it's pushing 100,000 people there. I've seen it both ways, whereas other places, Oklahoma or others, it's always energized, right? Uh, but that, that's what I think of when I think of the fifth largest crowd in the history uh, to ever watch a West Virginia football game. Those are my memories of it. Go ahead and take number four here. This is, again, before my time. So Yeah, a long time ago. Another one of those Penn State games. Now you see it climbing. The last time we were at Penn State, it wasn't quite this many, but now it was our last trip to Penn State, 1991. Uh, so now with the uh, expansions of the stadium at Beaver Stadium, you're up to 96,445 people. The fourth largest crowd to ever watch a Mountaineer football game anywhere. Now it's a game that I, uh, you know, I wish I could forget as a fan. Uh, you know, I, I was a college age kid myself. Uh, that was a very good Penn State team. Tony Saka, Sam Gash, O.J. McDuffie, they finished number three in the final poll. They went and blew the doors off uh, uh, Tennessee in the Fiesta Bowl. Very good Tennessee team, or excuse me, uh, Penn State team. And the biggest thing was they just dominated the line of scrimmage uh, from start to finish. They outrushed just 349 yards to 21. So blowout loss at Penn State. That's the last time we were at Penn State. And if you've seen a recurring theme, but that theme's about to change so far, every one of these games in the top 10 has been a loss. But good news. Yes. That's about to change. Yes. Number three and the top three. I won't ruin it. Number three, Texas. 2016, November 12th, 98-673. And I remember this one for two reasons. One, Skylar Howard leading this team once again to yeah. a victory that they probably – I don't know if, if they shouldn't have won, but it, it just felt like a game they could have lost. And then, of course, the Kaiser-White hit on Shane Duchelle where he just absolutely yeah. gave him a punch and knocked the ball out. Um, that's the two things that I remember about that. And after this game, West Virginia moved to 8-1. and one. Again, this was that 10-win season that they had. Um, and we talked about it in a recent episode where they only played one ranked team yeah. That whole season, and they took full advantage of that. They were they were taking care of uh, wins left and right, and and pretty much beating who they should have. Uh, but yeah, that's what I remember from that. Yeah, you, you talk about the hit. I mean, Kaiser came off the edge, one of the packages Gibby had, where the spur comes up and they chop things up. And 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 I'm telling you what, what, what was odd about that? It wasn't a blind side hit; it was a vision side hit. Yeah. And Shane Bouchelle, who came in as a, a really highly uh, you know regarded quarterback recruit ended up transferring to SMU but uh, Shane Bouchelle was looking to his left as a right-handed quarterback and off the edge from the Spurs spot came Kaiser and just lit him up I mean I I almost felt like I felt it from our side yeah. of time. it was one of those shots and and the other thing that I remember is this game was literally down to the wire and then some in other words the outcome was 24 to 20. West Virginia led. And even on the final play, there was some dispute as to whether or not it was going to be the final play. The officiating crew was reviewing. And this is in my career, the only time this has ever happened. Of course, as soon as the game ends, what is my job? I immediately, as the game ends, right after the handshake, have to have a microphone in the face of the head coach. So I had to have Dana ready to go. So we didn't know if the game was over or not. Are we playing another player? Or are we not? So me and Dana and Gibby, half the team, half their team, we're all out in the middle of the field, and we don't know if the game's over. <laughs> and so the, the call came back in, and the game was over. Here came the handshake, and here came the celebration. But uh, th that was a, a a strange finish to a relatively intense game. Uh, but, again, you're talking 98,000 and change, pushing 99,000. 
I don't remember the crowd being a massive factor in that one. And and I wouldn't say that elsewhere, the places that I've been with these size facilities, but sometimes Texas is, sometimes Texas isn't. It just, it depends what kind of mood you catch the tea sippers in. Yeah. And, uh, and that particular day we held on for a very hard fought, very physical, old school 24 to 20 win in front of the third largest crowd to ever watch a West Virginia football game at DKR in Austin. Yeah, number two. You want to guess where that one is? DKR? <laughs> yeah. 100,703, and that was November 3rd, 2018, a.k.a. the Will Greer-Gary Jennings game. And this one is going to be one that will live down forever in the history books of West Virginia football. And obviously, it could have been even a more storybook type of uh, a game had West Virginia held on and beat Oklahoma State. We can talk about that. David Sills, no pass interference call in the end zone another time. But um, that would have been incredible if they would have been able to get to a Big 12 championship game that year. You probably would have had Will Greer seriously in the Heisman situ in the Heisman race had they finished the season a little bit better because of that play, what could have happened at Oklahoma State and so on. But, man, that game – Again, it felt like they were so much back and forth. But when Texas got that stop, they got the score to go ahead, you were just like, eh. you know what I mean? Just it, You didn't know if they were going to be able to answer there at the end. And I loved the, the cojones on Dana Holgerson at the end to go for two. And you were down on the sideline. The rumor is he, he was going for two the whole way. Is that is that what you heard? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there are – I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version of the things I remember. <laughs> I, I could write a book about the things I remember about that football game but, and the memories that will forever be etched in my mind. Um, but I, there was a point earlier in the game where there was an injury to a uh, Texas uh, offensive lineman. And, of course, when there's injuries to the opposing team, you know, it's much more difficult for me to get an injury update because uh, I don't have the inside track like I do with our staff and our training staff. Uh, so what I have to do is I have to go to the national reporter and I'm trying to think of who the national reporter for ESPN was in that game. I, I can't remember. It was one of the regulars that we work with, but uh, anyway, I went over to check with her because uh, she was checking with the staff to see what the status of that was. And as I worked my way over, in other words, normally I'm over toward our sidelines. Now the layout of DKR, our sidelines is opposite. Bevo's in the back corner uh, on the opposite side of the field from where we enter the field. We enter the field, we go in front of the Texas band, and then we go opposite over to our sidelines. Their sideline is the same sideline that down at the end is Bevo's cage. So I'm normally not around during the game. I'm not around Bevo's cage. But I was going over to make my way and migrate to the lower end of their sideline, so I was right in front of Bevo's cage. And as I made my way in front of Bevo's cage, I'm trying to spot the sideline reporter, and I heard the crowd go nuts. And I looked up, and here comes David streaking right towards me on that 65 yard touchdown. So I'm, I'm sitting there fumbling. I'm trying to get my, my camera out. And I did get a shot of him with the horns down right in front of me. So I'm right in front of Bevo and David's right in front of me with the horns down. And there's Texas fans eight feet behind both of us. And I was just like, this is delicious. All right. Uh, but then the way that thing unfolded, you know, with the, the scoring strike to Gary, uh, you can't throw more – you talk about a drop in a bucket. You can't throw more accurate football under any circumstances, especially those. And and then what ends up happening was with the two-point play, I was down in that pylon where Will ended up running into, okay, he ran right in front of me. I've got this kind of interesting video from my phone. 
uh, with Will Wright running right in front of me. It's an angle that you're not used to when you look at it, right? But uh, uh, yeah, we definitely were going for it. And of course, we had to go for it multiple times because they kept taking timeouts. Oh, yeah. Now, that was that was a certain concept that we went empty and there were various answers to what we could do offensively based on what they showed. There was a quick, quick screen element. There was a draw element. There was a, a single coverage element, one-on-one -on -one with an option route back to David. So you had different options depending on the alignment of the defense. And early on, it looked like the option was going to be uh, the option route by David, which we had that too. But ultimately, what ended up happening was Will just being the gamer that he is, uh in, in the play that he made he recognized just enough daylight to say you might get me here but you're not going to get me before i breach that goal line uh i can stretch this thing across there and so he ends up running right in front of us okay and our athletic director was right behind me he runs right in front of us and uh as he did so he scored and big daddy sean mariner who is one of our video guys on the sidelines you know mariner likes to talk about the reason that you see uh, Will slammed that football so viciously. If you remember when he scored, he threw the football, he spiked it, right? Well, what he was doing, he was throwing it into the speaker that Texas had been booming all day when we were on offense, making it making our lives difficult. So that wow. was kind of his way is to say, take that kind of deal. And I remember, as a matter of fact, it might even be on my video that I was still taking because I didn't turn the camera off. Dana ended up in, in all this chaos I'm I'm way outside the coach's box. I mean, I'm down on the goal line, okay? I don't have to stay in the coach's box. I'm not a coach. I'm a sideline idiot trying to do another job. Well, Dana and a lot of the staff end up as the plays unfolding way down the field, and he was, I don't remember, maybe the 15. And so I, I flew up to Dana, and I remember saying to Dana right away, that's the same pylon that he got hurt at in Morgantown last year. Oh. That's the first thing I said to Dana. First thing I said to Dana. Yeah. And – I, he was just so beside himself. I don't know if he heard me, but yeah, I, I, I tell you, as number two largest crowds in history go, they got a show. Now it might not have been the show they wanted, but boy, was it the show we wanted. And then I remember Dana crowd surfing in the locker room after the game. I mean, there's just so many different things that about that game that were just magical, you know, just absolutely magical. And uh, now that was one that I do remember the crowd. You're starting to get up towards. I do remember the crowd having an impact. There were moments in that game that turned Texas's way. And you, you go back and, and study and do a post-mortem on games like that. There's so many things that could have so ever slightly gone the other way. And, the, and, and I've done that multiple times in that game. And it's scary to think of how easily that could have swung another way in the third quarter, in the second quarter. But uh, so many tremendous memories from that game, sitting at number two, second largest crowd to ever watch a West Virginia football game. Yeah, again, like I said, it, when when Texas went down and got that go ahead touchdown, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know. It, it just didn't feel like you're just kind of like, oh man, there here it goes again. You know what I mean? And, One hundred thousand Skylar, seven hundred and three, and and that day it felt like it. And the and the incredible part about that was, and you mentioned it on that two point conversion. I think they actually completed one to David Silva. We did, and we then. Did. We sure did. They, they said they called the timeout, so they had to redo it again. So Tom Herman had that big thing after the game about how he reached over the goal line. Well, you didn't stop it twice, so don't know what to yeah. tell you. But anyways, and now, drum roll. The number one spot is... 2012, West Virginia at 
Once again, Texas. emerging Texas. <laughs> uh, first Big 12 road game as a Big 12 member. The first conference game was against Baylor the week four. We took the road, went to DKR. Uh, now, we were ranked number six in the country. They were ranked number 11. So there was a whole lot of buzz about this. They were ready to hand Gino the Heisman yep. with the September that he had had. And you're looking at this is October 6th, 2012. So we arrive 4-0, hotter than Texas chili, as uh, Rick Neuheisel might say. And we were offensively, we were playing lights out. And the concerns were on the defensive side of the ball. They already started to kind of show through. And that obviously, in major ways in that Baylor game, they showed through again here because no lead felt safe. Uh, but what ends up happening, there, there's a number of things I remember about this one as well. This absolutely felt like that size crowd. Uh, it was 101,851. Largest crowd Washington's ever played in front of. This felt that way. It got so noisy, so crazy, so disruptive. And uh, the truth of the matter is, there was a point with a critical fourth down sequence late in the game. And I remember it was in front of our sidelines going right to left. It was, I think it was a fourth and four. And uh, the crowd was going berserk. And I remember thinking, if Gino is unaffected by this, then he is, by definition, unflappable. Yeah. And he took the snap, shuffled back in the gap, fired a quick, uh, you know, hitch route to a step of the boundary, first down move the sticks. But I remember late in the uh, third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, what I remember about that is the Godzilla-tron at the stadium flashed up on the screen. The attendance of 101,851. 101, and not only was it the largest in West Virginia history, which we yes. know, it was the largest crowd in Texas Longhorn football history at the time. Now, it's since been broken. The largest was last year, Alabama, Texas. But that was the largest game in Texas history. So I thought, wow, that really says something. Now, a lot of things contributed to that, both teams being ranked, the novelty of a new conference opponent, fresh to the league, first season. But that was the Texas crowd that they should brag about <clears throat> because they contributed throughout multiple sequences in that game to the ups and the downs and the peaks and the valleys. Uh, they were noisy and noisy at all the right times, and it was just full and packed with energy. There was no tea sipping that night. No. I mean, it, they were into it and dialed in. And, uh, and of course, we talk about hangovers. We all know what happened the next week, but that didn't mean we weren't enjoying that night. I, I still remember, you know, I have a picture of Gino in the dark corridor outside our locker room. I mean, he couldn't get away. There were a bunch – I think there were Texas fans. They wanted his autograph, and he's signing game programs. And I mean, people forget just to what extent he was ahead of the pack at that point in all of college oh, football yeah. from a production standpoint. They were ready to anoint him the Heisman winner because of his body of work in September, and it was that impressive. I mean, I think after that game, he ended up with like through five games, he had like 24 touchdowns and no picks. It's just insanity. Yeah. The yeah, was posting, point, but. I don't know if it was – it may have been before that game, but I think at some point he had more touchdowns and incompletions. Than incompletions, yeah. Through a couple games, yeah. I mean, that's unheard of. Yeah. Out of all was, the Heisman wonders there's been, that's – it's like you never even hear that stat. So, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's – so that – that and the funny thing is he had a modest 260 that night. But yeah. he made the plays when he had to make them. He had four touchdown passes. I mean, Stedman showed up big. Tavon showed up big. The run game showed up big. 
I mean, that's the thing. I also remember going down and they had a linebacker that was dinged up. And one of the conversations I was having, I remember Dana watching tape on the, on the plane and we talked to him in the hotel and he said, Hey, you know, I, I think we can lean on them. Uh, we had a 200 yard rusher that night. That's, that's the thing about that game that most people don't remember is Andrew Bowie doing what he did. Well, they were dinged up at linebacker and we thought we could kind of have their, our way with them and lean on them and take advantage of that. And boy, did we. So uh, everything went according to plan that night. And it was, it was a, an awesome win. That was also the uh, Carl Joseph killed a man in Texas night too, which was, something yeah. That yeah. I, man, I, I felt that for Marquise Goodwin. <laughs> like I, I and that would have probably been a targeting maybe uh, in today's game, but of course, man, what's not, you know? Yeah. So there's your top 10 most attended games or most watched games in West Virginia football history. And of course, the whole reason behind all this is because they're probably, well, not even probably, it's, it's almost a certainty at this point. Saturday's game against Penn State, the opener will without a doubt be the most watched game in West Virginia football history. Highest attendance. Yeah, when, when you look at some of the things unfolding at Penn State, first of all, some of this is pretty regular at Penn State. Uh, according to The Athletic, Penn State sold nearly 92,000 season tickets in 2022. That was last year. 92,000 last year. That included more than 20,000. That's on par with what you can expect. In other words, when you have that as your starting point, that's how you get to 105,000. Now, when you look at the individual numbers of last season, here is why we feel confident in saying, again, West Virginia, for perspective, largest crowd to ever watch a West Virginia game anywhere, 101,851 at Texas 2012. 101,851. Here are the attendances at Penn State's home games last year. 105,000, 108,000, 108, 109, 105, 106, 107. So their smallest crowd last year was 105,000. <laughs> and there's more buzz this year than there was last year. Yes. So I feel quite confident in saying, absolutely, this will be the largest crowd to ever watch a Mountaineer football game. I continue to say, as somebody who likes to live in hope, <laughs> what better night I mean, we've never had a chance to piss off more people yeah. in person in one setting. That's one way of looking at it ever before than we will on Saturday night at Beaver Stadium. And we went through the numbers the other day about the AP top 25 and their history. Yeah. This would be the the best win in the history of the program, correct? Yes. Oh, without question. In other words, the highest ranked teams we've ever beaten on the road was number nine, and that's happened twice. Yeah. Uh, now, again, road, true road game, not bowl games. Those are neutral site games, including Georgia, which was an hour and a half away from Atlanta and Athens. Georgia was number eight. That's neutral site. The highest ranked true road game we've ever had a win in 1982 at Oklahoma, number nine, 1954 at Penn State, number nine. Penn State and the AP is number seven. This would be the highest. And one little cool nugget here. There is actually a member of the Mountaineers who I know won't blink at this. And that's Beanie Bishop. Yeah, last year at Beaver Stadium played in front of 108,000 people at Minnesota and played well. I yeah. mean, when you go back and watch Beanie in that game and look at the tape, Beanie played good football. He held his own, more than held his own. So that's one guy that's already been there, done that, and played in front of that kind of crowd that we can expect. What's that? Patorma Moba, too. Uh, yeah, comes from Penn State. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It's just yeah. he had he had him behind his back instead yeah. of in his face now, yeah. <laughs> 
so yeah that's that's interesting um even though when you look at those ap top 25 numbers it's not history's not with wvu but with this list recency there there's a little bit of a trend going on here so maybe yes. maybe victories in each of the three largest crowds to ever watch wvu play a game we won all three of them so what you're telling me jet is they're gonna win Maybe. This, this is a Lloyd Christmas moment. You're telling me there's a chance. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> so that's going to do it. And again, I'm Skylar Callahan filling in for Wesley Euler, the GOAT, and Owen Schmidt for Jed Drenning. Uh, the one thing we ask of you is to be in here and tell in here about your W favorite WB football podcast, In the Gun. And we'll be back with more episodes here later this week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.